Blog Talk Radio. And good evening. My name is Ryan Miner, and you are listening to a new episode of A Minor Detail. This is Wednesday, April the 22nd, 2015, and this is the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. You can find us online at changemoco.org. We are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. We are focused on education, transportation, jobs, and local community events. Tonight we have a jam-packed show, a very exciting show, a issue-based show that has been somewhat newsworthy in the last few weeks. It's called Free Range Parenting. You may have heard of it uh, based upon some recent incidents that were in the news media. Uh, you may have heard of a family, uh, the, the Maytev family, uh, that have a 10-year-old son, Ralphie, and a 6-year-old daughter, Devorah. And recently, the, the couple from Montgomery County have allowed their young children to walk home alone from a park and then other con- other parents across the country, they were at odds with authorities, and they had many questions. One, how much supervision do our kids need, and are they truly at risk? And tonight, we're going to have three fantastic guests, and I'm really excited about this show because we have a really enthusiastic panel, and uh, this show really came together so our first guest, we have Lenore Skenazy of Free Range Kids, and you may recognize her um, from as the founder of the blog Free Range Kids. She's appeared on The View, on Anderson Cooper. She has also appeared on – she has her own reality show uh, called World's Worst Mom, and uh, you, you may have seen her uh, give different speeches and do different interviews, and she's just fantastic. I'm going to bring her in in just a moment. Uh, we also have um, Russell Maxim Simon, from a, who is a Silver Spring resident from Montgomery County, and he recently started Empower Kids Maryland. And I also have Delegate Kathleen Dumay, uh, who sits on the – she is the vice chair of the Judiciary Committee in the state of Maryland, and she's going to join the show at about 9.10. So we have a really issues-based show tonight, and we're going to talk about this concept, free-range parenting. We're going to talk about does the government have too much control over our children or, in some cases, maybe too little. And you know, I am, I'm going to give it to you straight this show. I'm not going to take a side. You know, I've done this show for a while now. Kim and I, we have two kids in Montgomery County Public Schools, and our parenting um, is going to be different than maybe from yours, from our neighbors. And, uh, you know, we we parent the way that we see best uh, meets our children's needs. So um, I'm not going to take a side because I think both sides have a story to tell. So therefore, um, we're going to jump right into it. And so I'm going to bring in my my first guest, and I want to welcome uh, Lenore. So without hey Lenore, is that you? It is me indeed. Hi, hi Ryan. Hey, so I have spent the last week watching your YouTube clips, and by the way, you were just like an absolutely bubbly, fascinating individual. And now I'm going to sound like so unbubbly. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So 
let me bring you in. You are a you are the creator of uh, a, a blog called freerangekids.org, and I went to it today. Unfortunately, dot com, dot com, dot com. Oh, dot com. Okay. <laughs> Org would Let's mean that sure you could actually give me donations. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to also no. mention before we get in, Lenore, we also have a, a mutual friend in common, Walter Olson. I know Walter's great. Walter Walter was my foil when I gave a, a talk with him, uh, and I made him have to pretend to be a three year old crying in front of all his colleagues. It was quite a moment. It I was say? so funny. I I've been to many Cato chats, and uh, that's mm-hmm. how I I got to know Walter. And Walter mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. a fair, uh, a fellow Marylander, and we're involved mm-hmm. in um, in similar organizations. And um, my my spouse and I, Kim, we just love him, and we think he's great. And I, I loved his face when you were standing behind the lectern at the Cato Institute and you walked out front and like you're having like a battle of waters and it was just hilarious. I'm laughing. <laughs> That's right. He stole my water, I think. He yeah. stole your water. Right. <laughs> right. So, you can't trust those libertarians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can't. No, you can trust those libertarians. As Speaking from a libertarian perspective, yes, you can trust us. So let me start right into it. Um, you Let's let's talk about Montgomery County. You were featured mm-hmm. recently in a Washington Post article, and um, so uh, let's just go right into it. Tell us mm-hmm. first of all, what is the concept of free range parenting? Oh um, well, I'll tell you quickly that not, uh, seven or eight years ago, I let my nine year old ride the subway by himself and um, wrote a column about it and ended up on every possible television show, um, the Today Show, Fox, NPR, you name it, and. Um, so I started Free Range Kids as my blog that weekend to explain that I love safety. I'm not a daredevil. I love helmets and car seats and seat belts, and I just don't think that kids need a security detail every time they leave the house. And um, so that started getting both good and bad attention. You know, some people thought that I was putting children in harm's way, and other people wrote to me and said, oh, I'm so glad there's somebody who's, you know, saying this out loud. I felt so alone. And so it became a community of people who really believed that they wanted to give their kids an old-fashioned childhood. And um, gradually I realized that the, the, the real statement of purpose um, of the blog and the movement is just the belief that our kids are not in constant danger. Once you reject that belief that's being shoved down our throats by every, you know, every news item and every law and order episode on air, once you say, wait a minute, I don't think my kids are in constant danger, then you start thinking about um, your parenting and what you can allow your kids to do and what laws make sense very differently. And that's exactly what the Métis did. The, you know, Danielle has been writing to me for four years, you know, because she wanted to give her kids um, the kind of, upbringing she had. And and my favorite expression that she coined that I think is so brilliant is, um, you know, when people say, where are the parents? Where are the parents? She said, no, where are the kids? Right. That to me sums it right up. Where are the kids? I mean, if you go past so many parks, they're empty. And is, is that the point? Are parks supposed to be empty or are kids supposed to be playing in them? And, and somebody wrote to me recently and said, isn't it weird that it's become an act of civil disobedience mm-hmm. for children to play outside? I don't want it to have to be civil disobedience. I'm sorry it is civil disobedience. To me, it's just childhood. And um, you don't have to send your kids outside if you don't feel they're ready or if you don't feel it's safe. It's certainly up to you. But it's also up to you, certainly up to me, I feel, if I want to send my kids outside to play, to run an errand, to walk to school, to ride their bikes, that should be um, my prerogative and not the right. government's. 
Lenore, I'm going to bring in uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Russell Max Simon. He was also qu- quoted in the Washington Post article. Um, he is in charge of a group called Empower Kids Maryland. And mm-hmm. Russell, I want to welcome you to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, can you guys hear me? We sure can. Great. I can, yeah. It's good to be here. <laughs> okay. Hi, Lenore. Hi, hi, hey. hi. I was just talking to Russell the other day, too. I love what he's doing. Yes, I do too. And so, Russell, I want to give you a brief intro. Uh, you began an organization called Empower Kids Maryland, and I'm looking at your website, and it's www.empowerkidsmaryland.org. Um, and on the uh, the opening page, the About page, it says, "We are Maryland parents who want to empower our children to become independent, confident young adults with sound, non-fear-based judgment, and the level of risk." that will surround them in today's world. So that sounds innocuous enough. So, Russell, tell us a little bit about your organization. Tell us about uh, radical. Yeah, radical parent, radical parenting. So, Russell, welcome, and uh, let's go right into it. What say you about free-range parenting in Montgomery County, Maryland? Yeah, it's great. I, I wrote that sentence the day that news broke that the Metchiev's kids had, uh, uh, the day the news broke that, that the Metchiev's were under investigation the first time. And I got I got so upset about it. Uh, I had heard about this sort of thing happening to parents before, about essentially being investigated for letting their kids play outside. And I, ha- and I had, in fact, written to Lenore about it before. And uh, But this one was right in my backyard. The Metchiev's kids were literally, they were walking home from the same park that uh, that our kids go to mm-hmm. a couple blocks from our house. Um, and we live probably a 10, 15 minute walk from the Metchias. And so this one just really hit home for me and, uh, and for a couple other parents, uh, that I was in touch with about it. And, you know, I just thought enough is enough. This is crazy. It's madness. Right. Uh, something must be done. And I again wrote to Lenore, <laughs> like, what can I do? She said, you know, I'm working on building a movement. Um, Maybe you could uh, work on some ideas to get the law changed. So uh, that's what we've been uh, working on ever since. And, of course, the two go hand in hand. But Mm -hmm. our focus is really on Maryland specifically and making sure that the agencies in Maryland aren't continuing to overreach in this way. Well, I want to – speaking of Maryland, I have someone on the line um, who is well-known to Maryland, well-known to Montgomery County. We have Delegate Kathleen Dumay. Uh, she is a Montgomery County District 15 representative for the Maryland House of Delegates. And we're going to talk tonight about a lot of things. And one of those is policy and what the state is doing to uh, to work with local authorities. So I'm going to bring in uh, Delegate Dumay. Delegate Dumay, mm-hmm. welcome to A Minor Detail. This is Ryan Minor. Thanks for agreeing to join us tonight. Sure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So on the line, I have Lenore uh, Skenazy. She is the founder of Free Range Kids blog, and I have uh, Russell Max Simon, who uh, also works with an organization called Empower Kids Maryland. And we have a lot of discussion about this concept of free range parenting. And uh, what happened in the last few weeks is that uh, child protective services were called after uh, a 911 call was initiated. So, delegate to me, I I want to ask you. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is happening, what are you hearing at the state level as a um, someone who makes laws and policy and sets policy in the state of Maryland? What are you hearing? What is the feedback you're receiving from parents and other families throughout Montgomery County? 
It's actually been all over the board. Um, <laughs> our legislative session, as your listeners may be aware, um, just ended about a week ago. Right. And so we don't go back into session until next January. So there won't be so because the Maryland legislature is a part-time legislature. We're only in session 90 days a year, um, generally speaking, mid-January to mid-April. Um, so we won't be back to necessarily pass anything until 2016. Right. Um, so there's you know, but I've heard things all over the board um, from my own family. Uh, there are individuals on both sides of the question. Um, and from lawyers as well as some other policymakers, trying to just decide whether or not there is a need for some legislative um, action or a fix. And I came in on the tail end of the gentleman that was speaking about trying to change a law. Um, so now I'm also a practicing attorney, and I practice in the area of family law. So as a result, I'm pretty familiar with some CPS, CPS and and their process, and we've certainly over the last couple of years um, had several pieces of legislation that you know, try to address making the process, I guess, more user-friendly might be a better one way right. to look at. Uh, like right. what? Like, like what has um, what's been proposed and what's been passed? Well, we passed, I think, in 2014, um, mm-hmm. something called an alternative response. Mm-hmm. which allows CPS to you know, not necessarily open an investigation, um, but if they do receive a call about you know, some complaint that there might be a concern for a child or children, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that instead of necessarily needing to go through the investigation process and have to make a finding of mm-hmm. either indicated, ruled out, or unsubstantiated, um, mm-hmm. that with an alternative response it can really be just looking at the circumstances of the family and making a decision if there are services that are needed, is there any follow-up that is needed, you know, and again, working in more of a collaborative manner than just mm-hmm. immediately moving towards we have to do an investigation, we have to make a finding, um, you know, and make a determination as whether or not right. to pursue criminal charges. Well, that's really that's, good. Yeah, that's, And it's yeah. actually, um, many states have done it. It's um, sort of a... Um, I'm trying to see. I just pulled something up, and I was trying to see if I could determine how many states have done it. But mm-hmm. I vaguely remember that it um, may be as many as 25 or 30 states wow. have passed something along the lines of alternative response. It's called sometimes differentiated response. Um, but, you know, again, it is trying to look at the fact that not every case requires um, some sort of action that comes, you know, in the form of a ruling, um, and that sometimes it's really just a matter of, and I'm not talking about any particular case, but sometimes maybe the family just needs some services or needs a little bit of direction, and um, mm-hmm. that's a better way to look at things than just immediately deciding we have to sort of find somebody culpable. Well, to my right, guess, this case, case with the Metsia seems like a perfect uh, opportunity to use that, but that wasn't what happened in this case. They went through the usual investigation process, and this was right. your kids playing in a park. So, No, um, I'm well aware, and, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm obviously not involved in that particular case, but 
I do know that it's been rather frustrating from what I've read in the news. Well, to, to my <laughs> guest, this is, this is Ryan. I'm going to welcome myself back into the conversation because, uh, boy, I, I wish we were all in the same room. I love radio, but it would be great if we were all sitting at the table because we could see each other. But I'm, I'm, I'm watching this unfold, and I know that CPS, Child Protective Services, the officials there say that their priority uh, is to protect children and that they're required to follow up on calls. But to that, uh, Danielle... Uh, uh, Maytab, she responded and she said, how have we gotten so crazy that what was just a normal childhood a generation ago is mm-hmm. considered radical? And Lenore, uh, mm-hmm. are parents today different than they were in previous generations? Uh, you know, parents and children, it's its the same species we've had on the planet for quite some time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> children are pretty darn capable. Parents are worried, but I think they're more worried than ever because um, we've had fear sort of shoved down our throats um, for the last, I'd say, 20 or 30 years. It's been just unending, terrible stories on the news and then, you know, reiterated through Law and Order or Law and Order or possibly Law and Order. Um, That just just makes you feel 24-7 children are in danger. There was just another study I was reading today that said something like 70% of Americans think that crime is going up. Well, crime just went down another 4.4%, which is a significant drop, yeah, in the last year. But if we all believe, and we do, consistently the majority of Americans believe that crime is going up, even though right now we're at a 50-year crime low. So if you believe that crime is going up, then it would be crazy to have unsupervised kids if it was really a war zone out there. But thank God, and I'm knocking on my uh, wooden desk here, uh, thank God it is not that. So I feel like I can't blame parents for feeling for for being neurotic or crazy or anything like that if everybody is feeling the same way. It's a cultural imperative to feel terrified. And, and I finally, it took me a long time to figure out, like, my real crime and letting my son ride the subway was not putting him on the subway. My real crime was that when all the talk show hosts, and they inevitably asked this question, how would you have felt if your child was, you know, never came home? Um, I thought, why are they asking that? Don't they know? I mean, obviously, they know. Everybody knows how I would feel. Everybody would feel the same. But, but my crime was not going to that very dark place before I let him go. And it's almost as if to be a good parent today, you have to conjure up the most scary, awful, tragic um, outcome you could imagine of a walk to the park, of a walk home from the park, um, and then make your decision if you're going to let your kid out. And obviously the natives didn't do that either because they let their kids walk. So the crime is not being pessimistic enough. And it's a strange thing. I call it worst first thinking, not going to the worst case scenario first <laughs> and proceeding as if it's likely. What seems to have happened in the, um, you know, the sort of domino effect of, of picking up the kids and then somebody saw the kids and thought, well, what if they're in danger? And then see, you know, somebody answers the phone. Well, what if I say it doesn't seem like they're in danger and something terrible happens. So they call in the cops, and the cops think, well, it looks like they're fine, but what if something terrible happened? What if they were abducted on the way home? We would be remiss in our duties. And so they call in CPS, and CPS says, why weren't they thinking this way? We all think this way now. So it's really a question of groupthink of you have to be thinking of the worst-case scenario. And I would just like to, to stop us from thinking that that's the only decent way to run right. society, to parent or to make a, a rule. It shouldn't all be based on the worst-case scenario. Uh, right, I agree. Um, Russell, let me bring you in. Um, I had reached out to uh, Montgomery County Council President George Leventhal, 
And um, you know, it's great. I've 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 had an opportunity to establish a relationship. And what is fantastic in the digital world, and someone who hosts a radio show, is that I can reach out <laughs> on Facebook, and people will contact you right away back and I was just sitting at my kitchen table um early in the morning I think it was on Monday and I and I just sent um Councilman Leventhal a private message and said hey let me ask your take about this and um you know he did say I, this is not really his issue and he's been on the show before and he's a great guest uh so we were just talking, and I'm, I'm not going to relay any of the intimate details, but he did say that um, HHS staff, um, they are under strict confidentiality rules by state law. So I tried to reach out to them. They can't comment on a specific case, but I did find a, a video in which uh, Montgomery, the Montgomery County Council President Leventhal and a council member, Mark Elric, he, they're raising questions about the response procedures uh, for calls to police about an unattended child. So there was a memo that was dated April 16th, and the council members posed 16 questions, 16 to police chief uh, Thomas Manger and the health and service health and human services director. Um, and I'm just going to read briefly a quote that was written in the memo, and it said, the recent response by the Montgomery County Police and Child Protective Services to calls reporting Unattended children have led to many questions about the appropriateness of the response and whether laws, regulations, and procedures were followed, wrote Leventhal and Elric. As such, we are requesting answers to questions about the law, regulations, and policies that apply. And my question, Delegate Dumais, what are some of the laws that apply now in Maryland and specific to Montgomery County if someone calls the police on a child who may be innocently playing in a park or um are are not being what they can the state considers to be supervised what is the procedures what happens um if there's if someone makes the call there um to say that they believe there's a problem or you know that a child is either being abused or neglected um then the department of protective services needs to um proceed with an investigation or, you know, at least follow up on the call. Um, you know, the former report can be any number of things. It can be an oral report by telephone or direct communication. It can be a written report. Um, and, you know, then once the report is made, promptly after receiving, I'm reading from the law, promptly after receiving the report of suspected abuse or neglect, the local department shall forward the report to the appropriate agency and it is authorized to receive and investigate the report of the suspected abuse or neglect. And so someone has to follow up and either go to the scene, um, you know, or contact the parents, as the case may be. If it's a report made by a um, required reporter, like a teacher or a, a mental health professional, um, you know, then they're going to certainly follow up by, again, contacting the that reporter and then following up and contacting the children. Right, Russell. And they will let me call them in, and then they'll call them in. And what happens is, I've had clients with this. You know, if there's been that kind of a report, if the children are in immediate danger, um, you know, they need to get an appropriate um, authorization to be able to remove the child. That's pretty unusual um, and pretty drastic. If it is, you know, a question like with the case in Montgomery County now, then they schedule meetings with the parents. Right. Um, you know, and have the parents perhaps 
sign. I've had clients that needed to sign a safety plan, um, you know, that says this is how we will handle it and until the investigation's closed. So let me bring in. There's Russell. a lot in. There you go. Yeah, there, I was. I wanted because there's a lot of confusion about well, what does the law say? And there's a law in Maryland that specifically covers enclosed spaces, and and I think a lot of people are getting confused over it. And the That's enclosed correct. spaces law says says you can't leave a child under eight alone in an enclosed space for any amount of time unless they're being watched by someone who's over the age of 13. It's like a car or a house. Right. That has nothing to do with a kid in a park or a kid walking home from a park. That if a kid's correct. outside of a park, there's a different standard for neglect. And the standard for neglect when a kid is out of a park uh, is a little bit more vague. But it seems like uh, what CPS is doing is interpreting neglect when the kid's at a park to mean anyone who's unattended and under the age of eight. But that's not what the law says. I think, I think, and again, CPS won't comment on this case specifically. Uh, well, actually, it, seems, it seems to be that that's what they're doing. Well, what neglect is defined as actually not, you are correct, there is a statute and it's in the family law article um, that does in fact create a crime of an unintended child. What CPS actually needs to follow is in a different part of the family law article, and here is the definition of neglect. It means leaving the, ch- the leaving of a child unattended or or other failure to give proper care and attention to a child by any parent or anybody else that's responsible um, for supervision of the child under circumstances that indicate one that the child's health or welfare is harmed or placed at a substantial risk of harm, or two mental injury to the child or a substantial risk of mental injury. That's the so mental injury of mental injury. Did you say mental like mind? Yes. But uh, you wow. know that, what does that that's mean? not well. That's that's the definition of neglect that CPS is looking for. Right. They and don't I think go. There are very very few people out there and very few parents who would think that a child, even an eight and a ten year old, or a six and a ten year old, playing at a park, you know, less than a mile from their home, uh, they know how to get home, know where they are, in a safe neighborhood. I think there's very few people who feel that that situation meets that standard of neglect. And that may be, I don't necessarily disagree, but here's the problem. They get a call, and they have to then go and at least investigate and make some determination based on that definition of neglect. It has nothing to do with the piece about creating a crime because you were unattended in a home or in a car. This is the definition of neglect that CPS has to make a determination about. Um, And And one thing thing I've learned... Well, yeah, one thing I've learned since getting into this is that uh, I remember the first time this happened, you know, someone told me, well, it's okay if they investigate. You know, they should at least be able to investigate. And what I've learned is just how invasive these investigations are. They interview your kids without your knowledge, sometimes at school. They ask them That's very true. intrusive questions, whether drugs are being done in the home, whether people are touching you inappropriately. Right, and the the I think the point of what we're trying to do here is head off these investigations before they start for obvious cases like the Metsiev's. Now, the Metsiev kids have been traumatized, and so have the parents, but not because of any parenting decision they made, but because of the CPS investigation. Well, let me and jump in. This is let me. Unsubst- 
I want to jump in um, and and I want to shift the conversation uh, just just slightly. So as an as a as an antidote and as a personal story, uh, my spouse and I we live in North Potomac, Maryland. We we live off of and we're and uh, delegate. We are in your district and I know. Uh, we live. Yeah, so we live on right off of Dufife Meal uh, Road, and right mm-hmm. down the street is our kids' elementary school. They go to Travala. Our kids are 11 and 8, and being that it's a it's designated a rural road, they couldn't walk to school even if they wanted to. Um, we're we're less than a mile away, and our parenting style is sort of a mixture, and we um, we trust our children to go outside because we are in a. We are in a neighborhood. We have a we have a great group of neighbors who watch out for one another, and you know we're very uh, confident that our children are capable because we've sat down and we've talked to them about safety procedures. We've talked to them about what to do in uh, various situations and scenarios. But I think there's many people in Montgomery County that are questioning: um, Has government? interfered entirely too much in our our personal parents parenting decisions and Lenore I want you to take the lead on this you've seen this case you followed it and mm-hmm. do you think that uh the parents in Montgomery County uh who've been uh the subject of publicity do you think that they're bad parents or do you think they're just misunderstood Oh, I think a lot of us do understand them, and we applaud mm-hmm. what they're doing. And, and actually, it doesn't even matter if I applaud what they're doing or if you do. I mean, I think the standard that we're talking about has to be government intervention if the danger to a kid is obvious, immediate, and indisputable. And anything less than that does not rise to the occasion. So if I happen to be raising my kids the way the Métis are, that's fine. If, you, if you're not... That's fine, too, but the government shouldn't be interfering unless the child is in, you know, major danger. If they are starving, if the parents are beating them, if they're left in the house with no food and there's drug paraphernalia around. So what I'm trying to do, and I don't, I'm I'm pretty darn ignorant when it comes to um, how laws are created and how they're written, but um, I do have a one-sentence Bill of Rights that I think... um, you know that I would love people to to consider and tinker with as they will, but but it, I call it the Free Range Kids and Parents Bill of Rights, and it's one sentence, and it simply says this: that children have the right to some unsupervised time, and parents have the right to give it to them without getting arrested. Mm. That to me sums it up. Very interesting. So, delegate, what do you say to that? I'm not sure how it fits within, and this will sound like a typical lawyer, but our statutory (laughs) scheme. Um, You know, again, trying to find the right definition, and we struggle with this. For instance, I was involved um, with, I think this was probably in 2010, we were the only state in the country that did not have a child neglect statute um, or, you know, in our criminal law, something that was defined it didn't have as a child neglect. neglect statute. What is that? We did not. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have the crime of child neglect. We were the only wow. state in the country that did not have the crime of child neglect. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, actually, and when was that? That was like when? Like maybe 2010. Wow. Um, and we have since passed it, but I'd say the bill took about four years, at least, to sort of make it through the legislative process. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Partly because it is really hard 
to define neglect and what you don't want to be punishing, which goes a little bit to one of the things you said. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to be punishing someone for neglect because they are living in poverty. Mm-hmm. Right. So finding the right balance to say what's neglect and, you know, not have it be, okay, so they're not, maybe they're not getting three meals a day, but it is not because the parent is neglectful. Mm-hmm. The parent mm-hmm. is doing what they can within their means. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we didn't want to criminalize poverty. And so right. we struggled with how to do that. That's the great. delegate from Frederick, actually, that initially put the bill in, um, had been in education. And, Which delegate you know, was that? Delegate Galen Claggett, who's not oh, yeah. in um, the legislature any longer. He didn't run this time. Um, but he had been, you know, working a teacher and had been an administrator. And, you know, he said there were times he knew neglect when he saw it, mm-hmm. but there was really nothing that he could do about it. Um, so we, like I said, I think it was a four-year process. And um, when we, the individual that really pushed it through is currently a circuit court judge here in Montgomery County. At the time, she was a state's attorney. Um, mm. And so Can it's I in our criminal thing? law article 3 six. Yeah, please, go ahead, Lenore. Okay. I won't remember that number, but um, I know neglect when I see it is such an interesting phrase because I feel I know neglect when I see it, too. And it's not poverty, and it's not letting your kids play outside. So shouldn't it be pretty obvious that, um, A, that the Métis weren't (laughs) negligent, and, B, that we really have to make sure that that neglect is what I was saying. It should be really obvious that a child is in danger from neglect and not just something bad could happen because something bad could happen in my house today, which I don't think is neglectful, if my kids fell down the stairs or if they choked on, uh, you know, uh, a Cheerio. So it just seems like just because something bad could theoretically but improbably happen, that's not enough to call somebody neglectful. Well, in the legal world, the question is, is the child being placed at a at substantial risk of injury. Now, you've got stairs in your house. That's not a substantial risk of injury. Walking outside by in and of itself is certainly not a substantial risk of injury. Mm-hmm. But from a legal standard perspective, calling something a substantial risk is what is important. And that's what's in the definition of neglect for child protective services as well. Of, as well. And but it's but if we clearly subjective, but how mm-hmm. do you say that every time a child is walking, it, that's the problem with drafting legislation, which <laughs> I have found, is trying to draft it broad enough mm-hmm. that on one hand you're sure that you're giving either the court, usually the court, the discretion to make some a determination, and yet at the same time not narrow enough, you know, not being mm-hmm. so narrow that you miss something that, probably should be caught. Right. Um, and I want to I want to pause just for a second. Uh, if you are listening to the show from the outside world uh, and you're listening on online radio, my name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of this show, A Minor Detail, on blogtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. And if you have a question, our call-in number is 646-716-5971. I'm on the line now uh, with three very, very informative and content-driven guest. And by the way, I love this show so far because it has so much interaction and content, and you guys should come on every week and talk about this stuff. <laughs> it's I, a date. I, it, it is a, yeah, it's a date. So, and I want to go back to 
a uh, something that you said, Delegate Dumay, uh, uh, about um, poverty and children. And I- I'm reading this Washington Post article, and it was a great article because it really great gave an uh, a, an excellent summation of what's happening and. One person, Judith. Which are, you know, uh, Sam- I have to say, they they wrote like there have been thirty five articles on this case. I think so far. Which one are you reading? <laughs> I I am reading the article that was. Uh, it's called "Free Range Flap Fans the Flames of a National Debate on Parenting," and it was by Donna St. George and Bridget okay. Schultz on April eighteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really comprehensive article. Um, so oh, you're right. there was That's a very well done. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There was a quote by Judith Sandalo, who is the executive director of the Children's Law Center in Washington, and she said the problem is the children who are in, mo- who are in most of danger, who actually get hurt the most, they live in poverty, and their stories don't stay in the news, which I believe right. is fundamentally correct because mm-hmm. this – there's media attention surrounding this case in particular, but there's many cases that are often forgotten about when people do call uh, Child Protective Services, and they're, it's lost by the wayside. And I don't want to say they're not doing their job, but this attention, what is it about this case in particular that has received so much national news and attention and scrutiny and opinion? Why, why, why this case? I think – you go ahead, Lenore, because you're following it more. Oh, um, well, as a person who brought a lot of cases to public attention, including Deborah Harrell this summer who let her child play in the park while she had her um, McDonald's job, and um, the child was nine, and yet somehow this was considered neglect, and Deborah was thrown into jail. And another woman this summer who let her six-year-old play outside and was also found guilty of negligence. Um, we we like the sensational stories where the obvious there just seems to be a gigantic discrepancy between what the child was doing um, that the parent allowed and the response of the authorities. And I frankly, those are the ones I like to bring to public attention too because they remind us um, of my main point, which is that there's so many different ways to raise kids, and that we should all be allowed to raise our kids the way we see fit, so long as we're not putting them in, as you keep saying, substantial um, risk you know, of harm, sub- right. at substantial risk. And it's the it's this weird idea that it's playing in a park proposes substantial risk that I think is throwing people for a loop because we all remember doing this as kids and our parents weren't negligent and they weren't careless and they didn't they they cared if we lived or died and nobody was interfering with them nobody was knocking on the door and saying ma'am you let your child walk to school today uh yeah ma'am your child was seen frolicking yes <laughs> she was <laughs> and so i think people are just stunned at the idea that the government could knock on your door one day and threaten to possibly take away your kids for letting them have an old fashioned childhood it's it's bizarre well and and let's talk about that there is another uh, there's another gentleman with us. He's been kind of quiet. Russell, welcome back to the show if you're still with us. <laughs> yeah. um, you, uh, part of in- Empower Kids Maryland, you, there's a petition on change.org, and the petition is to the Maryland General Assembly, and it reads to direct state agencies to focus on real instances, and real is mm-hmm. capitalized, of child neglect, and allow Maryland parents to responsibly raise independent kids without fear of a CPS investigation. Russell, can you speak to this petition and what it's all about? Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's two things, right? What One is what we had was sort of a well-intentioned guy called 911 because he saw two kids walking around. 
And that's changing the culture, you know. There's a culture where if we see a kid walking alone, there's a temptation to think, oh, they must be in danger, which is just wrong. But then the second thing is we hope that if someone does do that, it doesn't trigger a CPS investigation. Mm -hmm. There's nothing about that situation that should have triggered a CPS investigation. And it's a waste of state resources, frankly, to have our CPS investigators going off of stuff. It's an agency that uh, many people here is chronically underfunded or overstretched. Uh, well, one way to not be overstretched uh, is to not investigate cases like these. It traumatizes <laughs> the kids. You know, it traumatizes the kids. It, it, you know, the kids were detained. The parents were not notified. It traumatized the, the parents. And in a state like Maryland, we should not be directing, uh, you know, our state agencies uh, to go after cases like this. So, uh, so we recognize, like I said, sort of we're trying to focus our attention on ultimately getting the law changed and and, and getting CPS to change their policies. Yeah. Uh, you know, what? Be specific about what policy you're looking to change, or the law that you're looking to change. You know, I, I take all of your comments uh, at, at, at to heart, which is to say we know that it's a fine line between um, sort of over-prescribing what constitutes neglect and then leaving it too broad. I think in this case we have a, um, an agency that is truly overreaching and over-interpreting uh, what the law says. You know, the law says, uh, you know, like you said, the, the X, Y, and Z are the criteria right. for neglect. Um, this clearly doesn't meet that criteria. Most people would agree with that, and yet there was a CPS investigation. Uh, so, so that's what we want to work with people like you on is, sure. is you know, how do we how do we change that? Because there's nothing about that that should have triggered a CPS investigation. That's so true, and I think and remind well, I people where to sign your petition. <laughs> <laughs> We're almost to a thousand signatures, so hopefully I know. Tell, by tell, end just, of this just fall. repeat repeat the um, the URL for where people can go and sign it. Oh, it's a really long URL, but you can reach it through our website. There's a big, big fat button on EmpowerKidsMaryland.org to sign the petition. That's that's, that's where I found it, Russell, and I. I want to talk about – so with every story and with the media attention that this family has received, this Silver Spring family they have received in particular, you know, with every story there's two sides, and I want to be fair. Um, I, you know, reaching out to some of, uh, of our elected officials, um, some people may think – and this is the other side, so I'm just bringing in another narrative sure. – that this family um, may be intentionally seeking publicity um, – wow. For the right, for the wrong reasons. So, no. and I'm just bringing this in, um, but there's been elected officials who have told me, and off the record, that they've never heard of a single allegation of overreach from Montgomery County Child Protective Services before this case. And you know, if something, if Child Protective Services were doing something wrong, I, they would have heard about it. So, do you think? To, this is to each of my panelists. Do you think that maybe? This family is eager for publicity, as some have suggested, on social media or within the media. No, I don't think so. I think they were really trying to do what all of us are trying to do, which is raise their kids the way they see fit. And um, they were shocked. 
the first time, and then once it was, you know, there, the, the first time the kids were taken in, which was in December, uh, there was an investigation, and the investigation found um, that uh, the, the unsubstantiated uh, child neglect. So they were exonerated, as far as I can tell. And mm-hmm. so then, uh, last or two Sundays ago, the, they'd taken a long car ride. There was a six-hour car ride from down from upstate New York back to Maryland. The kids were antsy. And what do you do when your kids are antsy? It's not a crazy, you know, Take them to look McDonald's. at me type thing. You, you let them play outside for a little while, and you tell them to come home around six, and then they're not home because they've been uh, scooped up by the police. And you know what? What I what I'd like to say is that what you have, even in this case, is the makings of a really lovely society. If we would just sort of look at each other with, um, you know, sort of uh, the benefit of the doubt rather than the other way around. So if, I, it did sound to me. I listened to the man who uh, called in the case. And, you know, he didn't quite know what to do. He saw these kids alone. It is unusual to see kids alone because we've become so um, risk-averse that we think that letting your kids outside is already dangerous. So he sees these kids, and he calls up, and the 911 lady is saying, well, what are they doing now? And he's like, oh, they're crossing the street, and they're petting my dog, and now they're walking a little further. I mean, nothing right, is right, happening. Listen. But but I feel like, so there's a nice person. I mean, I don't think it was a vindictive busybody. No, I think it was somebody nice trying to figure right. out, I don't know what to do. Should I help? I always heard, you know, you hear if you see something, say something. So he said something. And then I feel like the 911 operator was really relieved when the police were there because I'm sure she thought, oh, the police will see this is fine. I can get off the phone. And right. then the police see them, and the police offer a ride home. And, you know, I don't think they needed a ride home, but, but it's nice that there's police around and that they're ready to um, investigate if, in case a kid is in danger. What's the, the tragedy is that instead of all of us just saying, like, okay, well, I see these kids, and then the police coming and saying, okay, how are you kids? Oh, we're fine, and then just letting them walk home. It ended up being this antagonistic investigation, like somebody must be wrong if there's a child outside. So that's why, you know, I'm, I'm not putting it in legal language. But the assumption that any unsupervised child is therefore an endangered child and therefore a neglected child is where we have to to go back to. Uh, uh, children have always spent some time not in the world of adults with each other, playing in a park, walking home, riding their bike, looking for four-leaf clovers, whatever they're doing, it's not always supervised. And so we cannot start criminalizing unsupervised children. I, I don't want to address this. Uh, oh, no, go ahead, Russell. Uh, Sorry, this 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 uh, comment that this is the first time they've ever heard of CPS overreach because one of the things we ask for on our website is for parents to tell us their stories, and we have gotten a lot of stories. Yeah, I have one right here too. Mm-hmm. And we just got one today where uh, the kids were biking in front of the house in the street. CPS shows up at their door, and the parent is talking to them on their front porch. <laughs> uh, the kids are inside. Uh, ages seven, six, and three. And CPS official told the woman, you're neglecting your kids right now just by talking to us standing out on your front porch. Hmm. Wow. wow. Another, and I have, an, another I have one here. Yeah. Had, and there's a second issue, which is which I forget sometimes, which is that another parent wrote us and said that she was investigated for letting her kids play out in the in the front yard without her being out there watching them. But she doesn't want me to tell the story or let her name out. There's a stigma attached to being investigated by CPS. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a lot of parents will not say they were investigated. They don't want people to know they were investigated. That that must mean they're a bad parent. 
And so I think we got to remember that sometimes, you know, we don't hear about uh, those sorts of cases. Um, you know. And another reason people don't want to give their name out is because they feel like if they are like the Métis, it will start looking like either that they're publicity-seeking or that they're right. deliberately antagonistic, when actually all they're saying is, well, it happened to me once, and then it's like if it happens to them again, somebody's going to say, oh, they want to sue, or oh, they want public sympathy. It's like, I just won't give you my name. It's as simple as that. So I think Ryan is right. That, I mean, um, Russell is right that there are people that we're just not even hearing from at all. I, I heard from a woman um, in Maryland, I don't know where, um, but ironically, it was the day of the Métis story bre- breaking, um, but written beforehand, uh, that she was investigated because she had her 10-year-old waiting in the car. Um, she said, I didn't realize that, oh, she had a 10-year-old with her 1-year-old baby was in the car, and she didn't realize that the 10-year-old had to be 13 before she could wait with this child in the car for 10 minutes. I mean, some of these laws are ridiculous. That law happens to be ridiculous, the idea that a child is in danger while a mom runs a short errand and trusts her 10-year-old to watch. Hmm. And I wasn't in the legislature when that particular statute um, was enacted, and mm-hmm. yet at the same time, as a legislator, knowing that there it could have been so many times, bad facts make bad law. Yes, it may yes, well yes. Have been, I it love may that. Well have been, it's very true. It may well have been at the time this was enacted that something, there had been a horrible incident. Usually, um, yeah, it's usually something and as a result, for a death. This yeah. was the reaction. Um, now, I will tell you the curious thing about the particular statute about leaving a child unattended in a car or in a home. Mm-hmm. Over the years, we've had a couple of um, bills that come in to want to change 13 and move it up, oh, 15 or 16. We've had bills come in that say it shouldn't be 13, it should be 10. Right. And my, this comes before my committee, and for the 12 years or 13 now, I guess I've been in, we've just like, it's like, okay, it is what it is. We're not going to make a change. Um, you know, maybe we should at some point, but there's never been any overwhelming evidence to suggest a change. I imagine when it was enacted, it was because of some horrible incident. I'm sure it was. Usually, you know, in, in our haste to make sense and almost make the mm-hmm. tragedy um, seem less tragic because now at least it has, you know, saved another child. We think it's saving another child, but really now you've arrested a mom who had a perfectly competent 10-year-old sitting in a car for a couple of minutes with a 1-year-old baby who's asleep. That's, that's not a crime. That let should me, not uh, be a crime. Let me jump in here and to, to speak to that point, I mean, as, as a as a the liber- the libertarian the key token libertarian mm-hmm. of the group i have to say you look at you said bad facts make bad laws and if you yeah. look at the essence of something like the patriot act that was enacted at a time when we were virtually un it was something was completely new to us that w- mm-hmm. it was a large reaction to something that was horrible to this country mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. we go back into it and we say holy cow mm-hmm. most of what was enacted was completely unconstitutional absolutely so, right. so i i kind of look at it as People have overreactions within um, to to parents maybe leaving you know to to what is happening in, in around the country and then they enact these laws and then we step back and say oh my goodness what did we do and now mm-hmm. we have a case of parents are afraid to even leave their kids home or outside or or, or whatnot and because there is a stigma let me tell you something there is a stigma when parents go to they send their kids to school 
and you know, little Johnny or Susie comes into school and they tell their classmates, well, there was some, there were people here with badges and and dark suits and visited our house. That that leaves a stigma. We don't want that for kids. I wouldn't want our kids to go to school and say, oh well, uh, Ryan and Kim left their kids. Uh, you know, so and so came to our house and talked to us and sat down and investigated us. And my God, that would be that would be horrifying for us because I, I wouldn't want that. But here's here's something that you said, Lenore, that really strikes my interest. When you did your uh, Cato Institute chat, you talked about let's stop bubble wrapping our kids. And um, mm-hmm. so what what can parents – I mean because I'm a parent that sort of is a mixture, but let's – I'm going to face reality. I'm going to be completely transparent with you. Sometimes I can be a helicopter dad because oh, – I think I, I can at, be a helicopter. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to believe, but me too. You should see me with – the helmets that I like make my kids take. They're they're in their late teens now, and it's like <laughs> you're not leaving without a helmet. Exactly. So, so we know, have I don't a, think there's anything a, wrong with being a mix. <laughs> we have an 11 year old and an 8 year old, and you know my 8 year old is uh, she's she's my girl. I mean she is daddy's little girl, and I got to tell you, I watch her back, and I said, now her name is Paige, and I said, Paige. Uh, you got to hold my hand. You got to do this and that. And she's probably at times thinking, "Oh my God, you just need to leave me alone." So, <laughs> Lenore, tell me what can I do to stop being an overbearing dad, or what can I stop doing that was gonna, you know, to to let her kind of express herself and 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 be free and but still maintain that barrier of safety. What can I do? Well, uh, I hate to tell you, you can never be perfectly safe, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, in your house, out of your house, nothing is perfectly safe. But um, if you feel like you relished something in your childhood, I mean, when I give lectures, this is one of the questions I ask. I ask the audience to, you know, go in little groups of like three or four and talk amongst yourselves about something that you absolutely loved doing as a child, and then I pause, uh, that you don't let your own children do. And, you know, considering we are all trying to give our kids the best we can, you know, to the, to the extent that we can, and, you know, whether that's, you know, tutoring or horseback lessons or Kumon or ice cream or uh, a Disneyland trip, we're always trying to give them everything. But if we're not giving them that joy that we had because we used to, you know, run outside and play baseball in the afternoon or make a, right. a you know, a, a fort in the woods or whatever, and we think back on that not only fondly, but it's sort of who who we became, you know, I'm the kid who invented this game, I'm the kid who climbed up the tree and, you know, had this secret place. So sometimes it helps people if they think about their own childhood and then think about how they want to give their kids the best. Sometimes the best is a little bit of freedom, letting them have the same opportunity you had to find a secret place or to play with their friend without you there, without you holding their hand. So so that sometimes helps. And um, the other thing that I've seen that actually helps a lot of parents who would like to be a little more free-range and don't know how to begin is um, I did a whole TV show on this where I go to very, very nervous families, uh, nervous parents who, like, spoon-fed a 10-year-old, and the mom still spoon-fed <laughs> her 10-year-old in his mouth. Sorry, I shouldn't a be mom laughing. who yeah, don't laugh. It was wild. Um, another one who who got her son desperately wanted a skateboard, got him a skateboard, but he could only um, quote unquote ride on it by standing on it on the grass. He wasn't allowed to go on um, any surface harder than grass. Oh boy. And, 
And another mom who took her 13-year-old whenever they were at the mall and he had to go to the bathroom, she would take him in the ladies' room with her. So this is just to give you a feel for what the parents were like. Um, But my job, and it wasn't me who came up with this, it was the producers, was to simply say, okay, well, today, you know, you're having me here. And they usually had me because they knew that their kids were getting a little um, rebellious or or angry with them. And and so the, the lesser of two evils was having Lenore come. And what I would do is I'd say, okay, so today... Um, I'm going to have your kids go down the block where you can't see them, and they're going to have, whoa, a lemonade stand. You know, how radical is that? And um, the parents would be, you know, upset or furious or anxious because they're always with their kids, and now they're down where they can't see them, and they could be running into the street or they could be abducted or whatever. But, of course, they weren't because there are three of them, and it's on a quiet, nice street. And then when the kids come home, this is the key, when the kids come home, and they run up the stairs, and they say, Mom, guess what? We made $23, and I forgot to put the sugar in the lemonade, and it was so sour, and my friends were making a face. And then it's like, and remember, there was that time you got the hole in the cup, and we put up the sign upside down, and they're so happy, and they're so <laughs> excited, and they've done something on their own. That breaks the parents, I have to tell you. That changes every parent, well, not every parent, but 12 out of the 13 families I worked with, they can't remember why they were so afraid because, of course, it's lovely to see your kids growing up. It, it's so fulfilling that I feel bad that we're denying ourselves that joy of right. seeing them running the errand for us or going to grandma for us or making dinner mm. for us. These are things that, that make a parent you know, want to tell everybody, look what my kid did, and why do we do everything for them when they could do these things and we would be joyous. And when that joy does fill your heart, you will find this, you will find us, Ryan, when you do this tonight or tomorrow, <laughs> when you let your kid go do something on her own, you just won't go back. It's like seeing your kid walk. Do you wish they were crawling again? No, you're proud. Look, my kid can walk, and that's how you're right. going to feel. So, so promise me you'll try one thing. Just uh, have her decide will. one thing. Okay? That's, my, that's my it. And I do it in schools now. Hmm? My better half is sitting at the other end of the table, nodding her head and smiling. And uh, oh, great! She can call <laughs> me afterwards. <laughs> you got my yeah, phone we number. Yeah, certainly. Right? And uh, so we're, we have about two minutes left of the show. And you know, I I, I want to thank you all for joining this show. Great show. Really wonderful to have all of you uh, because I think that this conversation is needed. Um, being online radio is fantastic because then we're going to turn this into a podcast. And I hope many many parents in Montgomery County listen. So I have. Uh, just another question for for Delegate Dumay. What do you mm-hmm. specific and tangential within M- Montgomery County? This is a great community to raise kids, and we are one of the best counties, in my opinion, in 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 the nation. And we have many amenities and attractions uh, where it is a wonderful place to raise your family. But the, many parents want to know: Is our community safe? Yes. Our community is safe, but when you go back to sort of what decisions parents make, we do have to give parents the latitude to decide for themselves. From a personal perspective, I'm the oldest of eight children. Oh, wow. All of my siblings have kids, and one is a law enforcement officer, two actually a law enforcement officer. One's a guidance counselor in a Montgomery County Public School, um, you know, another lawyer, the whole team. And it's been very interesting just because we had a girls' night the other night, which was my sisters and sister-in-laws, and a different opinion from each and every one of them about this case. They're all great parents, but each of them has a different perspective as to what they would or would not allow their children to do, and none of them are overly 
helicoptery or not right. allowing their children to play outside. Mm-hmm. But the question of would I, would they let a ten year old and a six year old walk a mile? Yeah. Some of them are like, I don't care how safe the neighborhood. Never. Others were like, of course. Well. So I think we just have to, and CPS as well, needs to sort of take each situation, look at it, and make a determination. If there's not a substantial risk of harm, there's not a CPS action. Great discussion. Excellent show tonight. I want to thank each of you personally. Russell, thank you for joining the, the organiza- or thank you for joining the show and talking about your organization, Delegate to May. It's been a busy season for you, just finishing uh, your 90-day session down in Annapolis. And, Lenore, I can't imagine how busy you are with your show. Great show. An opportun- I'm going to well, uh, follow up. With- yeah, absolutely. I'm going to follow up with each of you. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to conclude here. So all the best to... Uh, everyone who joined the show. My name is Ryan Miner. This is Change Montgomery County Radio Network, and you are listening to A Minor Detail. Thank you, and God bless. Have a great evening.